Julie, today's discussion about state and local taxation is going to be a good one. We've got direct taxes, we've got indirect taxes, and it seems like there's lots of legislative changes on all sides. I agree, Margie. And some of the things I think they'll really highlight are what we might be seeing in the area of audits and then also just talking about things to look out for and practical points that our listeners can take from this whole dialogue. So with that, Margie, let's talk tax. listening to Tap into Tax, PwC's podcast series covering current regulatory, legislative, and technology hot topics through the lens of our tax technical leaders, as well as process and technology subject matter specialists. This podcast features discussions with some of our leading minds around tax, trade, and domestic policy. Stay tuned to our regular updates and subscribe to our series to get notified as new episodes are published. Welcome listeners. This is Margie Dunjashaw. I'm PwC's U.S. Tax Reporting and Strategy Leader. I'm joined by my co-host, Julie Allen, PwC's M&A National Practice Leader. On today's episode of Tap into Tax, we are excited to welcome Jennifer Jensen and Rob Osman, who are partners in our state and local tax practice. Jennifer and Rob are here today to discuss state and local tax policy and the legislative outlook for this year. Jennifer and Rob, welcome to Tap into Tax. Thank you, Marjorie. We're happy to be here. Thank you. So, Rob, let's start with you. Could you tell us what do you see as the drivers of state and local tax policy for 2021? Thank you, Margie. First, let's start with the overall state budget condition today and kind of the COVID impact we've seen in fiscal 20 and 21. Today, in surprising some, some state revenues have come in ahead of estimates. If you recall, when we looked at this last summer in the fall, the projections were pretty dire as to what the states were going to have. And surprisingly, to some, the budgets come in better than expected. What changed? Increases in tax receipts mostly driven by the stock market and business profits in certain business segments. In addition, the continued federal assistance to individuals and expanded unemployment have really helped with the state spending and to keep that spending up. But let's not confuse the fact that budgets are doing better with those that they're doing great. We've seen tax revenues collected in the 50 states down by 1.8% from March to December of 2020. And even though things are less dire than projected, overall collections are down in those same three quarters, about a 4.4% drop. While states like California and Arizona with their progressive income tax systems have actually been okay, other states that rely upon tourism and energy like Alaska, North Dakota, and Florida are not doing as well. When we think about what's happening with the remainder of 21, right, and what it projects into 22, states are still being impacted by COVID. And again, while some state revenues are strong, they may be thinking about offering tax cuts and using credits and incentives to attract business and new mobile populations. However, other states that are just holding their own are expecting deficits. So we're going to probably see a lot of states just looking to see what happens before they go through dramatic changes, at least as it relates to fiscal 21 closing and into the beginning of fiscal 22. And although states are looking you know, better than expected, they're still counting on additional federal relief packages, both at the individual level and the additional monies that have been proposed for the state government assistance and their help. But however, although forecasts and potential additional monies are reining in the tax increases, people are still pushing that for the areas that were actually really benefited by Target at the individual and business level. So long story short, when we look at what's happening related to budgets, you know, we've seen a better budget picture for fiscal 21. There's still a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to happen as they close out this year and they plan for fiscal 22. 
So Rob, understanding that state actions are dependent on the economy, state-specific considerations, and federal action, what policies are you seeing get the most traction early in 2021? Thanks, Julie. It's not a state and local discussion unless we're talking about federal state conformity issues first. And the starting point of that is IRC adoption. We have those states that need to annually update their IRC adoption. And in doing so, they'll pick up the changes that happened last year with the CARES Act and the Consolidated Appropriations Act as well. But those states may still decouple from select provisions. In addition, even though we have rolling conformity states, states that automatically adopt the Internal Revenue Code, they too are still making changes dealing with TCJA, CARES Act, and other impacts. For example, in Colorado, in January of 2021, we saw them enact legislation that accelerates certain federal deductions under the CARES Act starting in 2021. And the intention of that legislation is to offset previous decoupling that they have done. In addition, in February in Alabama, we saw them modify their calculation of 163J, taking into account that if you didn't have a limitation federally, even on a consolidated basis, you wouldn't have a limitation at the state level. And you also saw them retroactively adopt and modify for guilty, although they are prohibiting refund claims as it relates to the guilty calculation. So it's really going to be more prospective than retroactive. The point is, is that, you know, we're seeing just even still today, states dealing with the implications of TCGA and CARES. In addition, we've obviously seen a lot of traction as it relates to the SALT deduction and the limitations that happen as part of the TCGA. And as of the end of 2020, seven states had enacted pass-through entity taxes in response to it. But we're seeing more traction happen right now. In February, Alabama also included an elected pass-through entity tax. In addition, we have Arkansas, California, Massachusetts, Minnesota, and New York considering it as well. There's expected to be a lot of traction in 2021 as it relates to the pass-through taxes in response to the SALT limitations. And finally, in addition to federal changes, we have just straight, you know, state modifications as well. We have states that are looking at mandatory unitary combined reporting. We have states that are emphasizing individual and business tax activities in New York and wealthy taxes or potentially limiting NOLs. So overall, when they're looking at it, they're looking at just how to manage your budgets as to relate to increasing revenue. And last but not least, states are also looking at credits and incentives. In this new environment to get businesses into the states, they're looking at how can we incentivize those. And we saw in January, New Jersey enacted legislation that totally revamped their credit program. And Georgia has actually made more favorable credit treatment for its job tax credits, allowing people to reference their 2019 job information given the pandemic and what happened in their calculations. And finally, California has proposed budget changes that would provide for credits as well. In addition, right, we have states that are looking at credits and incentives and trying to curtail like one state competing against another. There is an initiative upon the states to kind of go at this as a collective approach so that they don't really uh, start trying to poach businesses. From a budget perspective, we're seeing lots of traction, and we typically see at the state level this go up and through May and June. Thanks, Rob. So, Jennifer, let's pivot to you. Pivoting from income taxes to state sales and use and other indirect taxes, are these going to be part of the state COVID response that we can anticipate in 2021? Definitely, Margie. Post-COVID, states are going to be looking for revenue, and indirect taxes are always a key way to bring revenue into a state. Last year, when we were talking to clients, we had predicted that we would see increased audits and expanded tax-based legislation. 
And we're definitely seeing that. Over the last few years, it's been a free-for-all in state enactments for sales and use tax. We saw that both with economic nexus and with the marketplace facilitator legislation. And now we're starting to see that occur again in state legislatures. We're seeing states focus a lot on digital advertising. That seems to be the flavor of the month and depending on how it goes potentially the year. We're seeing multiple states propose this legislation targeted in, in industries in many ways. So for example, in New York, they have proposed legislation that would address it in two different ways. One, they would enact a new tax scheme targeted towards digital advertisers, or they would expand the sales tax base to include digital advertising. Connecticut's taking a slightly different route, and it's proposing to impose a surcharge on social media advertising. And in Oregon, a state where we normally don't see any any activity because they don't have a sales and use tax, they're proposing a 5% gross receipts tax on the sale of personal information. And Washington is also looking at that. So you can see that how the states are really focusing on this digital advertising space. And in fact, in the last few weeks, Maryland was our first state to enact such legislation by overriding Governor Hogan's veto of last year. The question I have is, will we see this become the domino effect? And we'll see if it'll cause many states to enact it, much like we saw with economic nexus and marketplace facilitator rules. In fact, shortly after Maryland overrode the governor's veto, Massachusetts proposed three or four different bills already to bring that in. So to just give you a quick highlight on Maryland's unique new tax on digital advertising services, it is a tax on services that are defined to include advertising services on digital interface, such as banner advertising, search engine advertising, interstitial advertising, and other comparable advertising services. And it's really going after companies that have decent revenue from digital advertising. You have to derive at least $1 million of gross revenue from digital advertising services in Maryland. Part of the confusion we have, though, is that the bill is not very clear on how revenue will be sourced in Maryland. So that will be a challenge. The first payment is going to be April 15th. And so many of our clients are really worried about how they're going to be allocating revenue in order to make that April 15th payment. But that being said, the legislation is very controversial. And we've already seen several court cases be filed challenging the legislation based on the Internet Tax Freedom Act. The legislation is very focused on Internet advertising, and that is where the the basis of the arguments are going to be. So, Jennifer, besides digital advertising taxes, what else are states looking to do to increase the base? Margie, that is also a good question. And we're seeing states really look to expand their base in the digital goods space and the streaming space as well. It wasn't widely publicized, but in light of the digital advertising tax, but Maryland also overrode the governor's veto and enacted a tax on digital products and codes for less than permanent use and subscriptions and streaming, which is a real change for Maryland because they mainly just tax tangible personal properties and a few enumerated services. Colorado also started taxing streaming services this year, effective January. And so that is also another change where we see states looking at expanding their tax base. And Kansas has also proposed a tax on digital goods and online video games and streaming services. To kind of wrap it up a little bit, we still see states that are holdouts on the economic nexus and marketplace legislation that have proposed bills in right now. We have Florida, Kansas, and Missouri that are in that bucket. And we do have some other proposed bills that are out there but they're unlikely to succeed just because of that they're so completely different. We have a bill in Nebraska that would eliminate property income and corporate tax and would just impose a large consumption tax. And we have other states that are looking at simplifying the overall tax base by removing exemptions and exclusions. And we have others that are looking to expand the base to tax services and instead would lower the tax rate. So they'd have a broader base, but a lower rate. So yes, we're going to see a lot of states trying to enact legislation that will help them kind of maybe close some of that gap that has been caused by COVID. 
So Jennifer, I think that you've given a really detailed overview of you know state income taxes, and I would say you and Rob both, sales and use tax and these other indirect taxes and issues and proposals that are being considered with respect to, for instance, digital tax, economic nexus, and that broad-based service tax proposals. With all of that, what do you see as the legislative timeline on these proposals? And when do you expect to see movement in these areas you know, and or potential enactments? Well, just like the rest of us, state sessions have been impacted by COVID, not quite as in a dramatic way as we saw last year, but with suspensions, shortened sessions. But it's definitely a different environment that these legislative groups are operating in. We're all operating in potentially a virtual world. And it's very possible that many of these proposals will escape attention. We won't have people leaning over and chatting in the hall or across, you know, meeting randomly while they're in there in person. So some of these bills may just escape attention because they're kind of happening behind the scenes. We're also scheduled to have over 30 state legislative sessions done by May, nearly 40 done by June, which is a much faster timeline than you see in Congress for sure. So state fiscal years generally begin in July. So even if a state legislature meets all year, the budget action really needs to be happening this spring. And so I think that's where if we see any major changes in the indirect tax space, we'll be seeing it over the next few months. So this is going to be a lot for everybody to try to keep track of because these are a lot of moving parts in a lot of different places. So it sounds to me like knowing your data, knowing your details, running some scenario modeling, it's important so you can know what issues are actually meaningful and can really impact your organization. So Rob and Jen, I'd like to hear what are your takeaways on the state and local tax policy outlook? What should individuals and businesses be doing to prepare for all of these potential changes? So Rob, let's go with you first. The key is that they need to stay on top of the legislative changes. And you do that by obviously keeping track of the news feeds and part of PwC's policy on demand. And as those changes are being proposed and as they're enacted, just staying in tune with them. So, for example, the Alabama legislation I talked about had other components in it, including changes to throwback and single sales factor. And those will impact, obviously, effective rates and have a provision impact as well. So the challenge for everybody is staying on top of all the proposed legislation, but more importantly, absolutely catching all the enacted legislation so that you can incorporate it into your processes and your controls as you're going through and evaluating not only for the returns, but for provisions vision and planning purposes. And I agree with you, Rob. I think in the past, we've had our clients and taxpayers, they would do tax matrices or they would look at their nexus footprint and they would kind of put it down. And we would always be encouraging them to look at it at least once once a year. But I think it's becoming even more critical for our clients and businesses to keep track of all these multiple changing pieces. And it's not something that you could just put on a shelf and then come back to it in a few years. You need to make a conscious effort to be monitoring what states are doing, especially if you're one of these targeted industries that we talked about. And even if you're not, you still need to be monitoring your purchases in these space to make sure that you're properly paying your, your, your use tax. And again, going to my point about audits and Margie's point about data, audits are going to be coming and they're going to be fast and furious. And if you have poor data, nothing is worse for an audit. So I've been working with many of our clients to just think through how do we improve your processes? How do we make sure that you're getting the right data that you're going to need to support any position that we're, we're taking on an audit standpoint, especially going forward? It's, it's often difficult to go back, but going forward, let's get your data in the best possible way and make sure that it completely supports all of the current positions that you're taking on your sales and use tax. And that actually brings up one additional point to think about, and that is not only in the state realm do you have to pay attention to what's happening at the state level, you have to pay attention to what's happening around you as well, right? And we've seen that with tax reform, 
and the implications that tax reform have on state and income tax calculations, and obviously what's happening on the federal planning and international planning too. So, you know, another touch point for tax departments to be is communicate and make sure that you're in tune with what's happening, not only in your area that you're responsible for, but those areas that impact that area as well. I agree. And also thinking through what is the impact on your systems? Again, more and more states are enacting legislation either through the economic nexus, the marketplace, or through this expanded tax bases, where a lot of our clients are seeing their sales tax fines like multiply. And if they don't have the system set up in place to handle all of those compliance challenges, what used to be a small problem quickly balloons into a big issue very quickly. Jennifer and Rob, I want to thank you both for joining us today and for sharing your insights with respect to the current drivers of the state and local tax policy, the legislative outlook, and the proposals that are currently being considered. And I will say your takeaways are very impactful. I think the points that you highlighted of staying on top of it, of making sure that you're ready for audits, that your data is in a good condition, and then really looking at your systems are all key points for our listeners to take away. So thank you for all of your insight today. I want to thank you for joining us and also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us for this podcast. Have a great day. podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.